We have Misery Point Radio. They've got a great introduction, and we're going to bring the Heavy Metal Thunder. Are you ready for the Heavy Metal Thunder? Because here it comes. Welcome back, Wanderers. Thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. Appreciate you hanging out with me here in the wasteland on this, the last episode of the year. Can you believe it? The year is almost over. Thank fucking Satan, am I right? Good riddance. So, to give this year the final kick in the nuts that it deserves, I've got a really fun conversation to share with you, full of debauchery, bodily fluids, adultery, hidden identities, and as my friend Jeff Revilla so eloquently stated, heavy metal thunder it really just doesn't get any better than that so today's guest spent several years as a roadie in the music industry during his time on the road he worked with some pretty epic metal bands in a variety of different roles ranging from tech to merch bitch to tour manager bands like morbid angel soulfly prong mayhem cattle decapitation ministry goat whore divine heresy and many, many more. Alas, at some point, life on the road took its toll and he had to leave the industry. And in the process, he rebranded himself with a new life and a new identity. Now known only by his code name, Phil the Burned Out X Roadie. Phil took some time to come and hang out with me on the first ever Misery Point Radio live stream as part of the Indie Pods United Virtual Summit. I had an absolute blast chatting with him about his experiences, which, believe me, are absolutely batshit crazy. And because we only had a half hour for the summit, we didn't get to as many stories as I would have liked, but we'll have Phil back on again soon to dig deeper into the sordid world of the music biz Believe me, some of the things he's got to share will blow your fucking mind. But until then, grab your colostomy bag, dish up a plate of holiday defecation ham, and check out some of these twisted tales from the road. Here we go. All right, guys. Welcome back to Misery Point Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today on what is actually our first ever live stream for Misery Point Radio as part of the epic uh, Indie Pods United Virtual Summit. So thanks to everybody on the summit for making this happen. And uh, thanks, Jeff, for that epic introduction. And so now, if any of you are familiar with the show, you know that I like to talk to all of the artists, the entertainers, the musicians, the writers, the filmmakers, you name it, anybody who has creative awesomeness to share with the world. And today, we're going to talk with somebody who worked behind the scenes and saw all the crazy debauchery firsthand, and he's here to share some epic tales from the road with us. So please welcome to Misery Point Radio, Phil the Burned Out Ex-Roadie. Phil, thanks for joining me today, brother. Hey, appreciate being on. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's actually kind of a really funny story how this whole thing even even came to be because, uh, you know, I, I'm part of the Spoilerverse Network and uh, mm-hmm. Phil works with some folks on the Spoilerverse Network as well. And one day on our Discord server, we were just kind of messing around and I saw this notice, this really cool story about something, <laughs> Phil, that you had shared. And I was like, dude, I got I got to have you on the show. And you were like, 
what show is that? And then I realized, because I hadn't learned everybody's screen names yet, I just thought you were like one of the Spoilerverse guys, and it turns out, nope, I'm just the dude that works here and, and hangs out and talks a bunch of stuff and shares awesome stories. And I was like, I don't give a F. You got to come on the show <laughs> and talk about this awesome stuff. And now here we are changing lives, uh, one go. musical story at a time. So, That's uh, right. Let's dig in to a little bit of the history then. Now, uh, you refer to yourself as a roadie or in some capacity were a roadie. But as I was talking to you, I realized um, from your perspective, that actually encompassed a lot of different job roles. Uh, you worked with a mm -hmm. lot of bands in the music business uh, as a tour manager, general manager, artist mm -hmm. rep. So just kind of tell us a little bit about all those roles that you played at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually, uh, a roadie, you know, is just uh, kind of someone that goes out on the road. Um, there's there's multiple rows that you can have out on the road. Um, you know, like you can be a tech. Uh, I started as a tech. You can be a merch person. I, I also did merch. I was a stage manager. I was a tour manager. Um, and I toured for around seven years. I think it was around, it was like 2005-ish to like 2012-ish. Um, and a huge majority of that was metal bands. I mean, you know, um, Cephalic Carnage, Cal Decapitation, Orbit Angel, Prong, uh, Soulfly, uh, just a huge list. I mean, there's actually so many bands that I toured with there in that time, I can't even begin to remember, um, you know, because as you can imagine, there's, there's no shortage of excess out on the road. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I just spent a lot of time out there. Um, you know, but like generally referring to when someone says a roadie, you know, I mean, that could be a tour manager, that could be a tech, you know, and then there's even within that, I mean, there's different levels, you know, like you could be the lowest level is just like a general tech hired on by like a company, um, you know, where you're just, you don't have an assigned role, you know, you're just there to help, um, you know, and then it just goes up from there. And of course, like the highest level would be like the band's personal tech, like they are hiring you on personally, and you're going out with them every single tour that they do. Sure. So. <clears throat> and how, how did you get into that? I mean, what was your entry point? Well, you're probably not going to like that I say this, but lie on your resume. <laughs> so I, I was actually, uh, so I was actually the director of a metal radio station. That's like what you're doing right now. And so because of that position, I had contact with all the people at the different record labels. They were sending me their music, you know, and getting their artists, you know, in rotation and everything. Um, so I kind of had an inside uh, track, I guess. Um, and then one of the guys that was running a, uh, he just had like a marketing company. He expanded his company into doing production. And that's what you want to get into if you, if you want to talk about going out on the road and everything, because it is, it is production that you're going to be, that, that world that you're going to be joining. So he expanded into a production company. And I just said, I had already known him from working with the radio station. And I just hit him up with my resume one day. Hey, man. Um, and I was already doing um, local production. I was already working for all the local music venues. Um, I mean, you know, all the way coming up through being a child. I mean, I worked like in theaters, you know, musical production, lighting, sound, you know, doing that whole thing. So I was already in that role. So I just sent an email and just lied, lied to him, to be honest with you. I was like, hey, man, I got all this local regional touring experience. And of course, by that, I meant I had been out with a couple of my buddies' bands, like <laughs> two or three states, you know, and like, right. you know, but I was like, hey, I can do this. Like, what role do you need? And he was like, well, you know, and I just, I guess he just received it at the right time because it just so happened that he was looking for people to send out on tour. So, because he had just, you know, started the new production part of the company and everything. And I think that the first tour I did, and, and I mean, we're talking slave wages. I mean, your first like 10 tours, 
you're just going to get treated like garbage. I think my first tour was like $250 a week. It was so low. I mean, that's a thousand dollars a month, which is below the poverty status. I mean, that's 12,000 a year. Right. You know, you know, and of course, you know, they're going to pay for your lodging and your transportation, but like things like having things on a writer, I never had any of that. That's stuff that you graduate to. Like yeah. there's a misconception, like you don't just enter the roadie world and then you get all this like stuff, you know, it's, and of course, you know, through the years and everything, my pay went out and, and I started actually making a lot of money, but, um, you know, to begin with, I mean, no one's going to take it seriously. You know, like they're going to be like, yeah, we'll send you out there and we'll give you $200 a week and uh, nothing on the writer. You know, if that's a good deal for you, sure. Come on out. Because at that point, you know, they're not really losing anything. I mean, you know, and it was just by virtue of a hard work ethic, you know, like when I was on those first like couple tours, I was always the guy to go to for whatever, you know, if the band needed something, Hey man, Phil's going to take care of it. If the, if someone else needs some of the tour management, I mean, even when I was working through companies, you know, like, you know, just having the ability to like pick up uh, a band's payment at the end of the night and, and then properly deposit in the correct account, you know, that's, that's huge when they don't have someone to do that, you know, or like properly doing um, stage management, you know, getting a trailer unloaded, coordinating all the local stage hands that they'll have at the club, you know, getting all the gear lined up, sound checking, you know, and again, because I kind of had all this ability previous and I was already working in the industry, it kind of just really worked out. And, um, and then at that point, you know, the, it's true what they say, though, you know, like if you get on one tour, you absolutely that, that's how uh, from that point forward. I mean, I never like begged or anything like that. I mean, it was it was one tour after another and they just kept assigning. And then like the artists, if you do a good job, I mean. Uh, there's, there's such a huge amount of techs in the industry that just like get on the road and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to party and go crazy. And they do tons of drugs and all that sort of stuff, but they don't pay attention <laughs> to the actual job. Like they're like crappy techs, like they're terrible guitar tech, but they just want to get, you know, messed up every single night and party with the band, you know? So like, if you're a good tech or you really like, you're the go-to guy, it gets, it gets recognized. You know, the bands are like, Hey man, I had this great tech on this last tour and I know you guys are going out, man, give him a call. Here's his number, you know, and they'll, and they'll do it like that. So, yeah. So you did that for roughly, you know, five to seven years. And just for, for point of reference, how long ago was this? This would have been 2000, like 2005 ish to 2012 ish. So anywhere between, you know, math is not my strong suit, but what is that? Eight years ago at the, at the early point at 2012 is eight and then uh, 2005 is, is what, like 15 years ago? So Yeah, um, the moral of the story is if you want to get into being a roadie, your math skills don't have to be top-notch. Right, yeah, that wasn't exactly something they tested us on, you know, when there wasn't like an entrance exam, you know, hey, solve this uh, quadratic equation or anything, you know. <laughs> and just curious, uh, speaking of timelines too, just because you happen to mention Morbid Angel, and I was curious if, if you even remember at this point, was this, uh, were you working with, David Vincent, Morbid Angel, or Steve Tucker, Morbid Angel? Uh, David Vincent. It would have been 2011. So I did a tour with Divine Heresy where I met Tim Young. Right. And then Tim Young, of course, became the drummer for Morbid when Pete Sandoval, his back, like, went out and, like, just blew out. And he had to, like, you know, take a whole bunch of time. I think he, like, retired from me. I don't even know what happened. He found Jesus is the story I heard. Well, maybe that's the case, too. But originally. Incompatible with their format. Well, so here's the story, man. He hurt his back. He like threw his back out. I mean, like severely, like, like a skateboarding injury type of fur your back out and no one knows how he did it. Right. And then of course, you know, the things that go along with like that, you know, like you go to the hospital and what do they issue you, you know, something to, to help you. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And then those, yeah. So that kind of like, um, 
you know, kind of took a hold a little bit, I guess. And then, so he was like in this weird up and down place. So then Tim Young took over drums for Morbid. And then it was after that, 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 um, you know, the the come to Christ moment, like, you know, actually happened. But (laughs) I had already, I had known to, you know, I knew Tim, I was out with him. I was, I was his drum tech and, um, you know, so, you know, then the time came, he, you know, he was out with Morbid and he just kind of fell in place. So Right on. Well, so we talked a little bit then about some of the bands you've worked with. Of course, Morbid is one. And you mentioned Cattle Decap, by the way, who I've seen live. And those guys are just piles of craziness uh, and, and super cool dudes. So that being said, though, crazy, crazy stories from the road. I'm sure there are no shortages, but you'd sent me a couple of little snippets of some things that mm-hmm. I thought was, uh, was kind of cool. So I guess in no particular order, let's just kind of get a couple of these stories. Now, I was particularly interested in the first one that you'd sent over to me uh, (laughs) regarding somebody who may or may not have liked the food that they were served. Yeah, and, that, that's uh, the that's the party story right there. Um. <laughs> well, so so I know that uh, maybe we don't want to necessarily go full on on this individual's name, but this person is very mm-hmm. well known, and I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to drop any hints. But let's mm-hmm. let's just tell people what happened with this delicious, <clears throat> delicious food. So we'll we'll just say that his last name begins with a D and his <clears throat> it ends with a G. Um, <clears throat> so um, you know, on writers. Uh, you're guaranteed a, a certain thing, you know, like the clubs have to either provide you a, a, a buyout or what's on your writer. And it has to be exact. You know, you hear all these crazy stories about like a, bl- a, a bowl full of blue M&Ms and like artists flipping out, you know, if it's not right. blue M&Ms. So uh, this artist, he had indicated that he wanted a, a plate full of ham in the green room or I'm sorry, turkey in the green room, um, you know, because he wants sandwiches or something. I don't know, whatever else. Uh, and so we, we get to the, the club, the venue, you know, of course, and in the green room, the, uh, the plate is ham, which, of course, is not turkey. It goes against his, what, what is on his writer, you know. Um, so this, this guy, he proceeds to, uh, to take a number two bathroom, uh, you know, like a dookie, onto the, the plate of ham, you know, and then he, uh, he runs around and he takes the ham that is now dookie covered and he sticks it up all over the, the green room on all the different walls. Uh, just to voice his outrage. <laughs> <laughs> what was the response to that, by the way? What did people do when he started smearing uh, uh, delicious, delicious defecation-covered food all over the place? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, some artists are kind of known for acting out. So it's kind of like everyone in the room that is in the crew or the or the band or anything they're just like oh geez you know here this goes again you know and then of course like the management for the club they're going crazy because they're this is like they've never seen this in their life before um you know so they come in there and they talk a bunch of garbage about kicking you out and how they're not going to put the show on and all that sort of stuff but at the end of the day they're making a ton of money at that that night from your act being there so they're not going to do anything. I mean, right. You, you might have one that'll try to like call the police on you. If you, if you got really out of control, I mean, like if you're like running around destroying walls and stuff, I mean, they'll call the police on you, but if you're just doing something like that, you know, it, it'd be the same as like taking a bottle of, you know, like number one, like PP or something, you know, and like slinging it all over the room. I mean, yeah, they'll get pissed off, you know, but there's like levels of, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not going to like, they'll be like, Oh, if you do this again, we're not going to have you on tonight, but it's like, dude, you're right. going to make, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars tonight just from the people here to see this act. So like, you know. Yeah, dude, that's crazy. 
So now I think it's time for us to take a quick break and check out some music. The song we're about to hear is from a band called Vicious Nature from Birmingham, UK. The song is called Rise Up off of their album 7. Check it out.
Yeah, that's yeah. funny. And and you also you had mentioned uh, <laughs> since we're talking about bodily fluids, you know, why not? I mean, what what mm-hmm. more family friendly topic to to live stream than that? There is a a story about uh, uh, somebody maybe getting some acts performed on them while the person doing it <laughs> might have some kind of a apparatus hooked up to themselves. Let's elaborate on that. Yeah, a little bit. yeah. Um, all right. So that one uh, that is another really well known guy. Uh, we're not going to mention his name because yeah. uh, I can just see a huge slander lawsuit going on that one, but. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there, when you're out on the road, there's, um, you know, there's like super fans and, and oftentimes they happen to be of the opposite gender. You know, uh, we call them groupies, uh, you know, so, um, you know, sometimes sometimes the super fans are, uh, you know, like willfully doing acts, uh, you know, of debauchery. Uh, we'll just call it like, uh, I don't know, like smoking a meat whistle or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we'll call it. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, um, you know, we're playing the skin flute, you know, playing the skin flute, you know? So, um, this, there was this, um, this old, like outhouse type of deal. It was like a photo booth inside the green room. And this, uh, this person, he's of course, um, the, the groupie is doing her thing on his thing, uh, you know, on his skin flute. And, uh, she has a, a coloscopy bag that is actually like, you know, I mean, it's a medical thing, you know, like people have them and stuff and he's holding it, uh, he's holding it up above her head and he's squeezing it as she's doing her thing, you know, and he's like, can you feel this? How about now? Can you feel this now? And, and, you know, of course we all know what's, what's inside that. <laughs> so she's trying to squeeze it back into her body while she's doing her thing on his thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Out of control. Out of control for sure. Now, uh, there's also a couple of, of rules in terms of when you're out on the road, uh, especially in regards to tour buses. And uh, you had a couple of cool tour bus stories, uh, maybe about somebody who broke one of the cardinal rules and ended up uh, maybe getting tossed off. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's two rules on tour. One is you, you don't go number two in the toilet, uh, and that's because uh, – you know, it just stays in there. It gets clogged up. There are modern tour buses that nowadays that um, you can pay to like have an extra system in there that'll break all that stuff up. Yeah. And then the second rule is um, you respect people's space. You know, because when you're on a tour bus, you're your bunk. I mean, that's your holy space. I mean, it's six foot long. It's eighteen uh, inches high. Um, you know, so it's kind of like your traveling coffin, you know, and like you put all of your toiletries and stuff, your toothbrush, all your personal stuff you put in your little coffin there. And, you know, people are supposed to respect your space. And, um, man, I, you know, when you're on tour, you know, you try, it's just like customer service, you know, it's just like any industry, you know, you always try to like be gracious and courteous and stuff to the people you're working with and around, especially since you have to see them every day. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you just have falling outs. Um, and in this case, in this particular instance, me and the drummer had a huge falling out, just a couple of them, actually, like the whole the whole duration of the tour, just, you know, at each other's throats and stuff. And then one day he decided to uh, he gets you know pissed drunk or something. And he, he ended up, uh, you know, bringing a, a groupie <laughs> back into my bunk uh, to, you know, do do the things that uh, males and females do. To do the um, yeah. Yeah. Do the deed. And, uh, you know, my, and he made sure that I had my, my toiletries and stuff in a bag, you know, like a little ditty kit or something. And he made sure to empty it all out. And he was right on top of that, you know, and I was coming 
it was the end of the show. I was coming off the stage and I was just going to my bunk to like grab something. And there's a Gatorade or something, you know, like between then and when I had to then load this trailer up. And of course I see him in there in my bunk, you know, and I just like lost it. I mean, this is after the whole time we were on tour, just being at each other's throats. And so I just, um, I grabbed his ankle, which was sticking out of my little bunk curtain, you know, and I just dragged him out of the bus and threw him out into the road. Um, Cause I'm a big dude. I mean, I'm like six foot five at the time I was probably about 300, you know? So like, and, and he's a little European dude, you know, he's, I don't know if you guys know this, but like European people are not as huge as American people. They're just, their stature is less, you know? So like he was a little tiny dude and I just picked him up by the ankle, slung him out into the road. And I was yelling and screaming the whole time. And, you know, and then of course his, uh, his friend, you know, she comes running off the bus and she's just like in 10 seconds, a mix of tears and makeup, you know, and then she's, she starts going on about how um, her five children are going to miss her and that she needs to be home, you know, for dinner and everything. And I was the tour manager of that particular tour. And she just looks at me and she's like, Oh, you like, can you get me a, a cab? You know? And I was just like the audacity, like you, you just, I mean, granted, you know, it wasn't necessarily her fault. Like she didn't know, exactly whose bunk it was or anything but it was it was his fault i was angry yeah so she didn't get a cab ride home no i was like no you can walk so sorry she found her own her own lift i don't don't know what she did but she it wasn't it wasn't on my (laughs) well aside from all of the crazy stories i mean uh, phil and i could probably stay on here for hours talking about all this stuff and uh, and if if time permitted i'm sure we would but uh you know in addition to all of the crazy stuff there's just some actually kind of really cool you know, feel good stories, uh, you know, some cool things that happened to you. Uh, you got a chance to uh, stay at Vinnie Paul's house while working mm-hmm. with Prong on tour. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, so for that tour, we were using Vinnie Paul has his own. He owns or owned uh, partially owned like a busing company. So that way, when he went out on the road, he didn't have to pay extra for the buses. He just would like pull them out of his garage or, you know, he, he stored them somewhere. He'd pull them out. He wouldn't have to pay other than the gas to make them go, you know, because normally you have to rent them per, per day or per week. Um, so they were his buses. They were actually the kiss tour buses from the Pantera videos that you got that, that are everywhere. Um, and prong, you know, they're all Tommy Victor. I mean, he's old school. He's friends with all these guys, you know, he knows them all. Um, so he, we were in Las Vegas and, um, uh, he had just bought a house out there. Um, and so, you know, we had a day off in Vegas and he was just like, yeah, man, you know, come on by, you know, come, come chill at our house. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, I think it was like four tour buses, but we all pulled up to his house. It's in a really nice neighborhood. It's a really nice looking place. Uh, of course, you know, it's a decently, decently priced house for that area. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so everyone cycles through and it's like this cool experience. Like, oh, dude, it's Vinny. Like, you know, everyone grew up with Vinny, you know, and he's just as cool as can be, you know, like he, he doesn't care, you know, everyone's cycling through the showers and everything. And he had, he had like this crazy steam shower thing going on. Um, and, and at the end, you know, I was a tour manager. So I, I come out of the shower and I'm like, hey, Vinny, uh, man, is there any way I could just get a ride to like the closest bank? Because, you know, I need to make this deposit, you know, so Prong can get paid, you know. And, uh, and he throws me the keys to his new H3 Hummer. And he's just like, here you go, brother. And he's like, it's right down on the right on the corner. And, and then he's like, oh, yeah, and tell me what you think about the, the music. And I get in the car and, like, I'm, like, you know, nerve-wrecked because I'm like, dude, this is Vinnie, pa- Vinnie Paul's car. Like, if I mess this car up, I'm so boned, you know. Like, that's the story that everyone's going to know, you know. 
And um, right. so I turn the, the music on and it ends up being the master copy of his unreleased Hell Yeah album that was, you know, I mean, it's, it's out now, obviously. It was many years Hell ago, yeah. but like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it was just a cool, you know, cool thing. I get to ride in Mooney Paul's, you know, and then weirdly enough, at the end of the night, man, he loves 80, loved, loved the 80s hair metal. And at the end of the night, we went to this local casino and he was like, hey, man, you guys, let's all go like check out this hair metal band. We just watched this hair metal band play. And it was just cool because it was like, you know, here's Vinny, like just right next to us, you know, like we're just watching this hair metal band, you know, it's random. Yeah. So, but there were, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of good, good times, you know, like. And with uh, prong, I grew up specifically, I, I just want to get into this prong thing real quick because I'm a huge prong fan. But didn't they also uh, like bring you up on stage and sing happy birthday mm-hmm. to you? Yeah, that's actually the next thing that I was going to say is, um, yeah, yeah, we were in Canada on my, my birthday and I didn't say anything. You know, I don't I don't care, you know, but they I guess the, the company I was working through the guy, he, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, his birthday is this and whatever. So the whole band found out and I was just. I was manning up the merch table um, between because I think like our merch guy had to go do something or something like that. And uh, yeah, you know, they called me up on stage and yeah, yeah. Tommy Victor saying happy birthday to me. It was uh, it's like a dream come true, especially when you grow up in that era, you know, like 80s, 90s and seeing him on Beavis and Butthead and stuff, you know, and like, you know, and then you're like, dude, this guy is and they brought me a birthday cake. You know, that was just like, dude, what is this? Like, this is insane, you know? So. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I was I was really big into prong, especially like in the kind of the prove you wrong era. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole um, you know, snap your finger, snap your neck, all that stuff. Th- those were songs that um, I, I just I still to this day I just I go back to that era. You know, we're talking about like the, you know the New York hardcore scene, hardcore scene stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and prong, and they kind of were one of those bands that started to kind of cross over. They were, you know, kind of hardcore, kind of thrash, kind of mm-hmm. had some power metal elements, but I was always a big fan of them. So I, I think that, that that particular story, I think, is super cool because you always hear about how awesome the prong guys are. I've heard it time and time and time again from mm-hmm. people who have played with them over the years. So, well, all that being said, I mean, obviously there's some crazy stuff, but, uh, you know, you ended up getting out of it. So, so what, mm-hmm. what brought you out of working in the music industry? Man, I just, so in the latter part of it, I was like only stage managing and tour managing. And um, at a certain point, man, I just started thinking like, I was like, dude, they're just paying me a ton of money to be a babysitter. Like these are grown people that are like, you know, partaking in huge amounts of drugs and all this sort of stuff on the weekdays and like during the regular days, you know, and I just, I don't know, somehow I just started wanting, I used to actually, funny enough, now I work in like corporate America and everything, but I used to have hair down to my waist and like piercings and all sorts of stuff, you know, so I think at some point I just wanted to do better. I, I just wanted to reinvent myself and kind of, so I, I just distanced myself. I actually, I went back to college after I stopped touring and like got a bunch of degrees and all this stuff. And now I work in like a super corporate environment, but like, um, I don't think I could have asked for anything else. Cause a lot of people, they don't make it out of that lifestyle. You know, it just kind of consumes them and, uh, you know, so. Sure. So, uh, is it fair to say, at least judging by your screen name, that maybe at a certain point you just kind of started to feel a little bit burned out and just uh, didn't know what else there was in that industry for you? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Actually, I mean, like you know, when you start doing store, tour management and stage management, like that's the top of the post. You know, like there is no position on a tour higher because at that point you're balancing the budget. Literally, I mean, between the the company, you know, the record label, like you are balancing a budget for them. You're responsible for paying people. I mean, like, and it was great. I mean, it taught me a ton of stuff, 
but like at a certain point after doing that for a long time over and over again, you know, it just gets, just gets old. Sure. Yeah. Well, have you ever thought about just kind of uh, randomly is something that maybe you would do again on a, on a one-off or a two-off as kind of a favor to a friend in the industry or anything like that? So I've definitely thought about it. I mean, I'm definitely, um, I still keep, keep in touch with a lot of those guys like, um, you know, cattle, cattle, yeah, they're awesome, man. I mean, like the drummer, Dave, I mean, he's, he's great. Like yeah. Josh, I mean, all of them. So I mean, I've definitely thought about it over the years. I've definitely been like, oh, man, you know, if you guys come through, you let me know and I'll just hit you up and stuff. And and I've seen, you know, a couple of them, like, as they come through throughout the years, they'll play at, like, a local club or something. And I'll hit them up. Hey, man, put me on the list. And we'll hang and chill out backstage or something like that. But, like, you know, I mean, I I have a house now and, you know, married and everything. And sure. I, I don't think I would go back to that lifestyle. I mean, it was, it was very fast. It was very, like, crash coursey, you know, like – uh, and I think I just, uh, I, I crave the stability that I have now and that I've created over the years. Yeah. So I don't know if I'd go back to it. Well, we're just about out of time for the day, but I'm going to throw one last question at you and it's going to be just a super quick answer. Okay. So of all the artists you work with, if you had to pick one, who was your favorite? Probably Soulfly. And that's only because uh, out in Arizona, they all live out there, like all the brothers and sisters and everything. And so I was out with Soulfly and Igor and Andreas. Um, they made like a guest appearance and it just turned into a two hour Sepultura set with all of the original members. So it was like, that was just so memorable. And they're really gracious people, um, you know, just like Max, you know, hanging with them, you know, they're always like, they'll never hold anything against you, you know, if you're new or anything like that. They're just really super chill people. Right on. Well, that sounds awesome. Soulfly is killer. Sepultura, of course, huge influence on, on me, myself. I absolutely love mm, that. Of course. So, of course. You know, Phil, I want to thank you for doing this impromptu session today, for coming and hanging out on Misery Point Radio, for taking part of the live stream. Yeah, And no just for kind of entertaining us with the stories. I'd like to leave the door open, have you come back on sometime. We can really dig into some, uh, some crazy stories, then maybe in a little bit different format and kind of not worry yeah. about the some of the, you know, P's and Q's and stuff, but uh, <laughs> this has been awesome. Uh, your stories are great. And, and uh, we have so many more that we just didn't get to. So thanks again for hanging out here and, uh, and giving us your time and, and sharing your experience with us. I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me and I'm definitely uh, open to that, that invitation. So, all right, well, thanks again. And we'll talk to everybody else soon on misery point radio. Thank you. Well, there you have it folks. Piles of musical craziness thanks for hanging out with me over this last year it's definitely been a crazy one thanks for tuning in today as well i know it got a little noisy there in the background for a bit but sometimes life is hectic and you never know what's going to happen on these live streams also a huge shout out to jeff revilla for hosting our segment and to tina marie trimpert for inviting me to take part in the summit and for talking me out of backing out and to everybody else at Indie Pods United for supporting indie podcasters and indie broadcasters. So now we're going to close out this show and this goddamn year with a song from a band featuring Brian Kingsland from Nile. So here it is from Brian's new project, Imperishable. This song's called Exclusion Continuum. <laughs>